If those long stretches of open road are shaking your hands and feet so much you're feeling numb, or maybe shaking your rearview mirror so you can hardly see it of them, today's episode's for you. We're going to talk about motorcycle vibrations, where they come from, what they mean, and what we can do about them. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Jora. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Witt. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carl Parker. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Most motorcycles have some sort of vibrations to deal with, whether it's your hands buzzing on the highway, maybe your feet, maybe your mirrors are shaking badly at at all speeds so you can't see any details in them. But basically, if you're a rider, you're going to deal with motorcycle vibrations. So the question is, why do motorcycles vibrate? Why do we have these, these things that are making our hands and feet go numb when a car can run down the road so smoothly and quietly for that matter? I mean, you've never heard someone say, oh, I bought a new car and it's really great, but it, it vibrates heavily at 45 miles per hour. I mean, if, if you bought a car that vibrated your hands to sleep, that would be a recall or, or, or maybe a lawsuit. I mean, it would be a huge deal. So why is it that vibrations on motorcycles are so acceptable? And what can we do about these vibrations? How do we reduce them? Or is there a way to reduce them? And what do they mean? Sometimes vibrations come up that weren't there before, and that can be your motorcycle talking to you. Of course, that's what we're talking about today, and we're going to start with David Huff. David Huff is a renowned motorcycle author and journalist, as well as an AMA Hall of Fame inductee. He is the author of a a slew of motorcycle books, including Proficient Motorcycling. 
Dave, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Pleasure to be here once more. Always great to have you on. It really is. First of all, let me just start right at the very start with a hard-hitting question. <laughs> Where do the vibrations come from? Why do our bikes vibrate? Uh, just about any reciprocating mass will will create some sort of oscillation, and we sense that as vibration. So vibration is like music. If you think of somebody playing the piano, you know they they strike the the key which hits the chord, which makes the chord vibrate, and things vibrate at a at a frequency that's uh, for the length and the mass is is uh, you know sort of a constant. So. Uh, so vibration can come from the engine. It can come from, you know, the uh, uh, just the chassis working on the suspension. It can come from tires. Uh, it can come from wind shaking your jacket. So there are a lot of things that can uh, that can cause vibration. So it's frequencies that build up in, in everything that we feel in our hands and our feet and and even uh, uh, with the seat sometimes. If if vibration is well, I'm I'm going to add in that there's such a problem. Let, let me ask you first: Is vibration a problem with motorcycles? It is, um, and different motorcycles have different vibration frequencies, and uh, this can be more than just a discomfort. I mean, obviously, if your if your hands are tingling all day long, this can be a discomfort. But think of what it does to your performance. Um, if you are aggravated or or fatigued. Uh, your reaction times are longer. You won't be thinking as much about the situation into which you're riding. So, so if vibration is annoying to you in any way, uh, that can affect your relative danger. And vibrations are transmitted um, best when things are touching together, correct? Right. Well, and, and let's imagine, for instance, an engine which is out of balance. And so, and it's bolted into the frame. So, so as it operates, it shakes the frame a little bit, and then this vibration travels up the frame to, you know, the steering head and, and to the front end and to the handlebar clamps and to the handlebar themselves and then to your hand. So, so it's transmitted by, by other objects, and, and vibration is transmitted in frequencies that are, let's use the term normal for that object. So if you take, say, a yardstick, hold one edge on the, on the table and let it hang out and then and then twang it, right? Mm-hmm. And it will vibrate at a frequency that's it depends on its length and its mass and its flexibility and that sort of thing. So all objects will have sort of a natural frequency that they want to vibrate. And if, if the engine happens to be transmitting a frequency which is uh, to which the handlebars are sympathetic, then the handlebars can really shake. You know, so uh, yeah, vibration can get transmitted all around, and it's all a matter of energy. And as we have learned. Over the years, uh, energy does not go away. It just gets transmitted and, and changed into different forms. So if it's such a problem on motorcycles, why are engines bolted directly to the frame? Why not like have it set up like an automobile? I know there's a couple of bikes out there that are, are like that. I've seen a Harley-Davidson shake around. Uh, I think it was a Harley-Davidson shaking around, and it was obviously mounted on rubber mounts. But cars, are uh, the engines are mounted on rubber mounts. The transmissions are rubber mounted. Why don't they do that with motorcycles? Ah, good question. I think that um, it is, it's more cost-effective because you only have so much space and so much mechanism. And if you started rubber-mounting motorcycle engines, uh, you know, this, this would uh, impart some complexity into the manufacture and, and the maintenance and the design. Harley almost has to go to rubber-mounted engines. Well, it did in the good old days. They would have the engine and the swing arm and the, you know, and the chain and everything were all as a package. 
rubber mounted into the frame. And of course, uh, now we've got another issue, which is handling. So if you have an engine which is rubber mounted in the frame and it wants to shake around, what will this do to your steering, for instance, you know, or your, your suspension, which on a motorcycle is more critical than the car? Uh, the Harleys, which had rubber mounted engines, uh, engine, what should we say, engine final drive unit, um, they would cause some, some steering wobble. You know, as the engine moved around in the frame, it was moving the rear wheel. And I had ridden a machine with that feature, which would get into just a constant wobble. I mean, the handlebars were almost going into a tank slapper, um, imparted again by the rear wheel moving laterally. And so what aftermarket companies would come up with is devices with ball joints, et cetera, to, to cause the engine to not be able to move laterally. So it could shake up and down, forward and aft, but not laterally, which would affect steering. I mean, look at the price of a motorcycle, Dave. You think that, that by now they would have been able to come up with some sort of system like, you know, they've done it with the, the final drive on the BMWs. They used to have the problem with it lifting. Um, there was all mm-hmm. kinds of handling problems there. They solved that. Why, why wouldn't they do the same thing with this? I think it's primarily price. Uh, the motorcycle industry, believe it or not, has a tough time making a profit. Uh, sales are down even right now in a lot of markets. And and uh, when you start adding more complexity to it, that jacks up the price. You know, think, for instance, of the uh, of the Ural sidecar outfit. Uh, you know, from Russia, you could buy one originally for, you know, $700 U.S. You know, then they had to throw away the carbs and put Japanese carbs on. Well, that jacked the price up by another 200 And then they had to put on <laughs> Brembo brakes and, you know, and that jacked the price up another 500 And when you got done improving it to where it performed well uh now it's up to what uh 17,000 or something so mm-hmm. um the same thing is true with uh, with motorcycles if you can sell a motorcycle and somebody buys it because they like the way it looks you know they're not discerning enough to say gee does this thing vibrate you know i mean that's probably the, the last question people ask the first question is what how fast will it go you know stuff like that so we as motorcycle consumers are are not really very discerning buyers in spite of what you might think. Um, and uh, so uh, people will buy machines which are not practical because they like the style or the design or the people who buy them, you know, the lifestyle, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I know that I've had that as well. You, you buy the bike and vibration is the last thing that you realize. It's only after you've ridden it for a while, you get a little bit comfortable with the bike and you go, oh, it's got a bit of a buzz here, at, you know, at uh, 100 kilometers an hour or, you know, 60 mile an hour where I find that well, uncomfortable. Course, there's no uh, joke about that, of course. You know, the guy goes in and says, my motorcycle has a vibration. Uh, you know, what speed? Well, it's about 250 kilometers an hour, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but... Anyway, yeah, uh, you buy something and then you you find out what it really does, how it really performs, what the fuel mileage really is. And and so vibration is an issue. Then people want to say, oh, gee whiz, my big V-twin or my big thumper, you know, vibrates so bad I can hardly hold on to the handlebars for more than 30 minutes. What can I do to fix it? You know, well, the answer is, uh, okay, see that side stand? Put that side stand on the ground. Put a forced sale sign on it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, machine. <laughs> okay, yeah. so so it's a it's a bit of a depressing thought to think that we're actually stuck with vibrations, but but let's look at this practical ways to sure. deal with vibrations to mitigate the vibration at the very least. Yeah. Okay, so let's say that the um, that the engine 
has a vibration frequency and um, it's shaking the frame lightly up to a certain speed. And then at a certain speed, uh, that engine is now shaking at its natural vibration frequency, whatever that is. Um, you know, let's say it, let's say it wants to shake at 5,000 RPM. And this is shaking the frame. Well, the frame has its vibration frequency. And if it so happens that the frame likes to vibrate at 5,000, oh, my gosh, now it's going to transmit things up to the handlebars. Well, if the handlebar mass and length is such that it wants to vibrate at 5,000, it's a paint shaker, man. You, you're going to have trouble hanging on to it. What you can do then is change the frequency of things. So uh, it's impractical to change your engine to a rubber mounting once it's built. I mean, that's just really impractical. Sure. Although there are clever people who will do it. But uh, what you can do is take the handlebars, which want to vibrate at 5,000, and stuff it full of, say, lead wool. You know what lead wool is? That's, no. That's, no, you were, you were the first one, person that told me about it. Yeah, little strings of lead. And lead wool was used originally to pack plumbing fixtures. You had a cast iron fixture and you'd tamp in the lead wool and it would compress into this, you know, pretty much solid mass. So you can you can stuff, say, lead wool or there are other people who have weights that you can stick up your handlebar. You know, this little string of weights and you, and you shove them up the handlebar. And now uh, the handlebar is going to vibrate at a different frequency. So hopefully... Let's say that the engine is still shaking at 5,000, but now your handlebars don't shake until, uh, well, let's say that they want to shake at a lower frequency of, say, 4,000. Well, so once you get past 4,000, the handlebars don't buzz anymore, and, you know, you, it'll feel more calm. So you can do things like that. You can also change two handlebars of a different length just to change its tune, if you will. Hmm. So what you're saying is we're, we're not really getting rid of the vibration as much as we're changing the the, uh, the RPM it's vibrating at? Yeah, we're changing the frequency at which the part that's bothering us shakes, if we can. The other thing we can do is, depending on the engine, um, and I'll reference my old Moto Guzzi 750-850-1000, depending on what year we're talking um, you know, and at one point I wanted to rebalance the engine. I had the engine apart and I said, well, let's rebalance this because it had a bit of a shake, you know, a big V-twin kind of throbs. And so uh, the, the machine shop said, yes, we can do that. What is the balance factor? And I said, huh, balance factor? Well, it turns out that for a given engine, the engineers worked this out to where that, where that crank is going to shake, you know, what RPM and that sort of thing and how much of the weight should be on the bottom of the rod and how much on the top and you know, and, and uh, take the two pistons and balance them exactly so they're the same mass. The piston, they take the piston pin, um, circlips, rings, and everything and weigh it. And then they'll file off or grind off metal off of the bottom of the piston at a boss somewhere that won't cause it to be weaker to, to exactly balance the two pistons and the same with the rods. And not only just balance the rods so they weigh the same, but in fact weigh the big end and the little end of each rod you know, and then make those match. Um, and so once we get the engine balanced, it will be smoother. If, if they had an imbalance problem from the factory, the factory doesn't have the time or the money to balance things correctly. So there's the, what the designer drew up on the board. You know, the engineer said, let's make a piston pin of 22 millimeters. And so the guy making the piston pin, you know, ended up, well, it, it, it would be 22 millimeters and, and 22 ounces, except... Um, you know, this one's a little thicker than the last one, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and they don't have time to correct all those things. So what we would refer to would be say blueprinting an engine would be to bring it to the exact specs that the designer 
uh, intended it to be, which is relatively expensive. And obviously, you got to pull the engine apart. But if you have an engine apart for another reason, and we're talking basically V-twins and you know, and, and singles and engines that are relatively simple so that it's not a big issue to pull them apart, you know, then we can, we can check the balance, um, you know, at appropriate times. But uh, on my Moto Guzzi, it did smooth it out quite a bit. And um, uh, so I think that, you know, that's another approach. And remember that we can get vibration from other things, like we can get vibration from suspension. If, you're, if your front wheel hops um, and you get up to speed, this will impart a low frequency, you know, I suppose, what, uh, five or eight cycles per second into the handlebars, depending on, you know, the speed, the rotational speed of the, of the wheel. We can rebalance tires and wheels, and uh, a lot of people don't realize that the way motorcycle tires are manufactured is primarily uh, by hand. So people actually take fabric uh, and lay them up inside molds and that sort of thing. And so one tire may not be exactly the same as the next tire. In fact, it probably won't be. And so maybe one tire, and depending on the manufacturer, if it's a cheap uh, outfit that doesn't pay much attention, you know, and the guy stuffs in, overlaps the, the fabric, you know, longer than it should be, that sort of thing, then that will have a, a heavy spot on that tire. So not only does the tire have to be mounted right, but we're concerned about is it round when it was manufactured and cooked in the mold? Did it come out of that mold? to be round or is there a flaw in it? And so we can correct tires and wheels. If you have a wheel tire assembly and you've got, what, um, you've got 10 ounces of lead on one side, <laughs> uh, my advice would be take that tire, remove it, take all the lead off, rebalance the wheel, you know, and then put a tire on. And if that new tire doesn't, doesn't bounce correctly, move it around a little bit and check because sometimes it will take lead and two or three different spots and different sides of a wheel to get it balanced. But you can do that, and this will reduce, uh, you know, the effect that you feel at the handlebar and also in the in the frame of the foot pegs because the, the wheel is trying to shake the whole bike. How do you isolate a vibration? Good question. Um, I think in general, if you're looking at, at um, a, an engine vibration, you can feel this through the throttle. In other words, you're, you're going down the road and you say, okay, is – is that buzz I feel coming from the engine? And so squeeze the clutch, you know, roll off the throttle and see if it changes, you know, change or change, just change. So you're just the freewheeling speed. down the road is what you're saying. Well, uh, re remove the engine from the equation. Yeah. And see what's left. You know, so the engine will still be rotating down there, but not at 7,000 or 10,000 RPM. It's just, it's just idling, which, which means it'll have less rotational uh, forces. So you can you can find out that way. If it's a suspension issue, you'll notice this because it'll be a very low frequency. It won't be, you know, a, a tingle in your hands of uh, you know five thousand you know strokes. It will be, you know, five strokes or ten strokes or something like that pounding your your hand. Okay, we we didn't cover the issue of um, just uh, of other than discomfort. So if you're if you're discomfort if you have a discomfort situation and you're annoyed by this. Your reaction times will get longer. Your uh, your likelihood of catching a you know a car coming at you that sort of thing will be less. Uh, but it can also cause injury. So this came to me uh, in a very personal way that I was on a trip with my boat at Gucci, same machine that I talked about before, and I went down to Ruidoso, New Mexico, with it. And um, out in the desert, I felt the only word I can think of is pukey. <laughs> you know, and I. 
I parked the bike out in the middle of nowhere. There was one of these little uh, picnic tables with a tin shed over it for, for shade. And mm -hmm. I lay on the table for a while, and I thought, you know, I could die out here. I think I better force myself back on the bike to keep going. And a few days later, I was in the hospital in Ruidoso with a suspected heart attack. Well, it turns out it wasn't a heart attack. They called it pericarditis or, or a inflammation of the heart sac, the sac that supports the heart. And uh, so um, because I worked at Boeing, uh, I, I snuck myself into, a, uh, into the flight surgeon's office. <laughs> you know, Where do you work? Oh, I work in flight crew training. Okay, come on in. You know? <laughs> Are you a pilot? They didn't ask that. You know, right. so, the critical question. And, and ran me and, and they said, what was your problem? And I said, well, the doctor said I had pericarditis. And, and the guy says, well, I don't think you did. You know, uh, he said, I would be able to listen to that. So. Uh, at the same time, I had talked to the video guys, and they said, well, you know what? We did a program a while back with the military, and they were concerned with helicopter pilots, and they, what they did is build a shake table. They built a, this platform, like the floor of a helicopter, bolted a chair to it, um, you know, and, and strapped in a, a victim, <laughs> you know, and they started shaking this thing. And they started discovering all sorts of things, that body parts shake just like handlebars shake, you know, that that a, uh, a short handlebar shakes at a higher frequency than a long handlebar, and uh, the heart shakes at a lower frequency than the eyeballs. So, well, they were getting such, such horrible results shaking people when they actually looked at what, they, what was happening that they canceled the, the test. <laughs> they said, we're not going to shake the guy till he falls apart, you know, even though they were looking at vibration frequencies and amplitudes similar to a helicopter. You know, well, so I... I thought about this and I said, okay, what do you suppose the frequency is of a Moto Guzzi at, you know, 60 miles an hour? That sort of thing. Well, it turns out it was right about heart frequency, <laughs> heart shaking frequency. I forgot what it was, but, you know, like 18 cycles per second or something like that. And, um, you know, so I thought, well, it's possible that, that my heart actually was bounced around riding the bike. And, of course, you don't know this. You can't feel it, you know. But later on, you know, if you injure a body part, uh, you know, it's a problem. Uh, the eyeballs shake it. What is it? Something like 22 cycles per second. So if, if that happens to coincide with your, your bike's engine vibration frequency, it's natural frequency, maybe you got double vision at speed. You know, so, so we can have issues related to the body. And I don't think anybody in motorcycling has ever checked this out. I've, I've never heard of anybody other than my, the guys in the video lab talking about the helicopter test that actually we're serious about how vibration affects the human body, but I can say I'm willing to, I'm willing to think that vibration does affect motorcyclists and it can cause actual physical injury. Well, it certainly does for things like carpal tunnel syndrome or even just your yes. hands that they get so so that feeling of vibration where you know where you take the your hand off the handlebar and if you were to tap your finger with the other finger, it feels like you're tapping a um, you know a chime or something. It has that yes. vibration yes. to it. So exactly. that, that's an obvious one. Yeah, well, we, we can see those, and so um, as we know, the human brain is this marvelous device which can decide what it wants to feel or see, right? So if the human brain says, I love this motorcycle so well that I'm not even going to think about vibration, you know, and the vibration is going bam, 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 you know, into the arm, you know, causing carpal tunnel or something, but the brain can say, no, I'm interested in how fast this machine will go. I'm not interested in, in the injury it's causing. You know, we're famous for that. So I, I think um, unless, unless somebody comes along and starts doing tests, you know, like Consumer Reports tests 
uh, you know, the latest FLHPQRTZ motorcycle and says, well, it has a vibration that will cause you to have lung problems. <laughs> Unless somebody did that, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't stop to think about it. Back to ways to mitigate the vibration then. Yeah. So what other sort of methods can we have? You, you talked about the lead wool that we put inside the handlebar to change that vibration frequency. What other sort of things? Um, another thing we can do is just, the, for instance, the shape of grips. You know, there are handlebar grips that are made very thin for better tactile feel, but the the actual amount of rubber in the grip and the diameter of the grip and what were those grips from Italy that were kind of cushiony. They had a they had some kind of air passages. I can't remember the name of them, but they were a little bit larger than normal. And and they would damp out some vibration. Um, we can use various seat materials. So if you're getting vibration in your butt, either from suspension or out of balance tires or engine tingling into the frame, that sort of thing, uh, you can use, first of all, just try an air hawk pad. Uh, which is a pad designed for uh, preventing bed sores in patients who are who are in bed a long time, and so they make the air hog pad in a in shapes appropriate for motorcycle saddles, and you've got actual air between you and the vibrating seat pan, and so this will help damp out. And if that is if that makes a difference, if you try a uh, a pad and it makes a difference and it's better, then consider having your seat um, rebuilt with a gel pad in it, you know, inside the fabric. So it doesn't look so ugly as this thing strapped on the outside. But um, let's see, what else can we do? In foot pegs, if you're getting vibration through foot pegs, number one, consider how you put your foot on the peg. Are you resting your arch of your foot on the peg or are you putting the ball of your foot on the peg? You know, because if you put the ball of your foot on, not only is it a better position for control, but it isn't transmitting the shock up the bone. So there are there are some things we can do to to control the vibration that's coming up, and primarily it's a matter of of either isolating the vibration from anything that can mechanically transmit it, um, or we can change the frequency of the object being shaken, uh, like the handlebar or the foot peg, by changing its mass or its length. When you think about it, foot pegs and handlebars are cantilevered out from the frame. So they're sticking out like the meter stick, you know, and, and something out on the end can, can shake at a particular vibration frequency. So if we can change that frequency, we can help. But in the end, if your machine shakes in ways that, well, specifically, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, gee, have you been doing something with your hands, a lot of vibration recently? Uh, you've got carpal tunnel in both hands and, you know, you're not going to be able to, to do anything if you don't, you know, somehow stop doing what you're doing. What have you been doing? You know, um, what I what I would tell him in that in that case is, Doc, I'm not going to lie to you. I was playing golf. Yeah. So you don't get told not to ride your bike. That's right. That's right. We're not, we don't want to be told you can't ride your bike anymore. My gosh. You know? So uh, what you want to do then is evaluate the machine. A lot of people buy multi-cylinder machines for the performance output, and um, and just depends on how the engine works out. Some engines are designed very well, but they're just paint shakers. You know what I mean? They, they have a, a buzz. And typically, if it's a multi-cylinder engine, like a four-cylinder, um, you're going to have the frequencies of its natural frequency of vibration is going to be much higher on the scale. It's going to be double, basically, the frequency of a, of a twin. And so uh, if you get a, a buzz in the frame at 
55 Let's see. What would it be? At? You're up your way at what? Ninety kilometers per hour is about the limit. Uh, yeah, depend. Hundred kilometers an hour are common. Okay, so hundred. So if you get a buzz and your handlebars at hundred kilometers per hour, that's bad because because that's the speed at which you're going to be cruising uh, some of the time. And um, so I, I guess you could say, well, officer. See, the reason I was going so fast is because I have this vibration in my handlebars at only a hundred. <laughs> That's going to work for sure. You can take that to yeah. court and explain it to the judge. I'm sure you'll go places. I'm sure they'll be very sympathetic. <laughs> so the solution there is if you can't cure the vibration on that machine is, well, maybe it's time for a different machine. And uh, it just, uh, it's a curiosity that the engineers will design engines. And they can be fantastic engines from the standpoint of power and efficiency. But sometimes they turn out to have other problems. You know, they leak or they shake or something. Uh, today, most multi-cylinder engines from the Orient uh, are pretty good. They're pretty smooth. Uh, they're paying more attention to this. And in some engines that might shake, like the BMW motors that have the counterbalancer shafts, well, BMW and others, I don't know all the machines that have counterbalancers, but what the counterbalancer does is it says, well, uh, there's nothing we can do to cause this vibration of this rod, these two rods or three rods or four rods going around and around in circles. So what we'll do is we'll create a shaft which will rotate, you know, in the opposite direction or at the opposite ends of the node or whatever to, to cancel this vibration. So, you know, the rod is pushing the block one way and the counterbalancer is pushing it another way. And hopefully it, it cancels out at, at any kind of a reasonable speed you might be traveling. So there are, there are engines out there that do have dynamic balancing systems in it um, and they really can smooth them out. Now, are there particular engines, uh, maybe this is too broad of a question, but that we should be avoiding if we're concerned about vibration? Well, I, it's almost a trial and error thing, but we can guess that that engines with bigger parts, you know, are going to shake more because the parts have more mass. They're going to shake more and they will shake at lower RPMs. So, for instance, a single cylinder might shake at 2,500 RPM, you know, badly. It might. Um, and then you take a twin cylinder engine, a V-twin, say, or a parallel twin, and uh, it might shake at 5,000, <laughs> you know, and we, and we put it into a, a three-cylinder, and it shakes at, you know, 7,000 or something. So we can, we can kind of have some idea of, uh, of which engines are probably going to shake. I think that that's one of the comfort factors in big V-twins that people like so much is, uh, they're not going to rev them up very fast. So even though the moving parts have big mass that could shake, um, the shake is so bad as we speed up that we don't do that. You know, doctor, when I bend my arm like this, it hurts. You know, well, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so in your experience, then, is a lower vibration worse than a higher vibration or vice versa? It actually is from the standpoint that when you think about body parts, it's one thing to shake your eyeballs. It's another thing to shake your heart or your spleen or your lungs or something, you know. So uh, we can have damage occur at lower frequencies that will, that will shake parts badly, and, uh, and we don't comprehend it because it's not like it's not the same tingle that we get out of putting our finger on the handlebar at speed, you know. So you're saying the lower frequency could be worse? Yeah, the lower frequency could be worse oh, because we don't feel it as a as a powerful vibration. That's odd. Which, I would have thought it was the opposite. I thought you were going to say that the lower vibration would probably be easier on you. Well, you, that's the problem is we think it's easier right. because there's fewer pulses. Mm -hmm. But 
So if I were to, say, take a, a mallet and hit you in the shoulder and hit this really, really fast, you'd say, hey, stop that. That's annoying, you know. But if I would haul off and hit you, you know, with the same mallet once as hard as I could, you might say, ow, but tomorrow you got a big bruise there. Mm -hmm. You know, the damage can be worse at uh, lower speeds. So, uh, but, and we don't know these things except with experience. And unfortunately, uh, I don't know anybody in the motorcycle industry who's doing much to test for vibration. It's sort of like, what, you ride a motorcycle? Buck it up, man. You know? Right. That's, that's part of the cost of mission. Okay, so let's say we ride our bike. We're used to the vibration that it has. We've done what we can, but all of a sudden the vibration starts to get worse. What do we look for? Um, so I have this um, I have this racing friend, you know, and I was asking him about vibration, and he said, "Well, he said, if you rev the engine up and the vibration doesn't get worse, that's probably okay. If you rev the engine up and the vibration gets a lot worse, that's bad." You know, so as the parts began to wear, uh, you know, we could actually have something uh, starting to self-destruct in there. So if we start feeling vibration, it's not simply a matter of what it's doing to us. It's a matter of is the engine telling you something? I was amazed at the difference between my I had a 350 Suzuki a while back and a 350 a single cylinder, you know, nice running engine, except when you got it up to about, oh, I think somewhere around 70, 75 miles an hour, which it would do. But you'd get a vibration that said, you know, if you keep doing this, I'm going to put a rod out the side or something, mm -hmm. you know. And my um, Kawasaki 250 that I had, so it was less displacement, the Kawasaki, you'd rev that thing up five, six, seven, eight, nine thousand, and it said, is that all you got? You know, there was, the vibration did not get worse at higher revs. So I think... We've learned to feel our engines as we ride down the road, and it tells us things. And it isn't just a matter of, you know, that the vibration is going to cause us injury, but rather, what is the engine doing? Does it like this speed? You know, we, we refer to this as the sweet spot. The sweet spot of an engine is the speed at which vibration is least, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it, what the other thing we can do to change it is we can change the gearing of the engine so that if, for instance, you have an engine that vibrates very badly at 100 kilometers per hour, it's a chain drive, well, we could put a slightly smaller rear sprocket or a slightly larger front sprocket, and we could uh, you know, increase that ratio to the point where now maybe it, it vibrates more at 140 kilometers per different hour. Different speed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so different speed, just by changing the RPM of the engine. But also, if, if vibration is increasing, um, we could also look at more in other parts, right? Outside of the engine, loose bolts, loose engine mounts, oh, things yeah. like that. Uh, you can have a, um, a suspension component, like a swing arm bearing or something. And as the engine rotates the final drive, whether it's chain or shaft, you know, it's, it's causing power impulses to go in there. We would like to think that the engine is putting smooth power output to the final drive, you know, like continuous, same power exactly. Well, no, it doesn't. If that power, for instance, is a shaft drive and runs through a U-joint, a conventional U-joint, there will be power pulses. Every time that joint goes 90 degrees, there will be a pulse. You know, and so this needs to be absorbed by something. And if, it's, if we find that suddenly the swing arm is banging back and forth or something like that, then we need to fix those bearings to reduce the movement. And uh, so, yes, vibration can be a good indication of some failure um, in the machine that needs to be attended to. 
I've been speaking with renowned author and motorcycle journalist David Huff from Port Angeles, Washington. We've got more for you. We're going to be right back in just a minute. Even if you purchase a top-of-the-line motorcycle, it could likely be improved for your riding style by swapping out a few parts. And for adventure riders, a good place to look are those stock foot pegs. A wider, stronger foot peg like the IMS products ADV1 or 2 will really change your ride like you won't believe. The added leverage they provide, the strength, watershed design, and grip all help make you a better rider and more capable when you stand up. So have a look at the IMS Products full line of foot pegs for adventure bikes at www.imsproducts.com. And by the way, all the IMS products come with a lifetime guarantee. Basically, you break it, they replace it thing. Again, www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Motobird Adventures is a motorcycle tour company for women by a woman. And that woman is Carrie Doherty. Carrie and Motobird Adventures is located in California. And they have a trip coming up next week, as a matter of fact. It's three days and two nights called Central Coast of California, starting and finishing in San Francisco. Um, you might want to check that out. But for next month in August, Motobird Adventures has a five-day, four-night trip, August 26th to 30th, called the Lost Coast of California Dual Sport Ride. Carrie says 90% of the trip is paved and 10% is off-road. And she's going to be sharing some of her favorite spots along the way for this trip. Again, leaving and returning to San Francisco. But this trip is going to be more remote. Carrie says cell service will be limited. Sort of a digital detox uh, is how she describes it. And you're going to be staying in hotels and cabins. Sounds very cool. Hey, if you're a woman rider and you want to head out on a trip with some like-minded women, definitely check this out. Drop by the website www.motobirdadventures.com. That's www.motobirdadventures.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with Carrie, let her know you heard her here on Adventure Rider Radio. Walt Fulton is a former three-time winner at Daytona. He's been a team racer for Harley-Davidson, Kawasaki, Suzuki. Uh, he was a featured rider on, in the documentary On Any Sunday. Um, he still races now. He's, he's worked as an editor for Cycle Guide, Cycle World, and Motorcyclist magazines. He's been a contributor and a performance tester for MCN, the Motorcycle Consumer News, and he's logged over a million miles. Walt currently works at Kawasaki, um, and he also runs his own business called called Street Masters. Uh, my name is Walt Fulton. I live in Southern California near Riverside. And I am the, among other things, I'm the owner and uh, chief instructor for Street Masters Motorcycle Workshops. I also uh, work in quality assurance in the uh, technical department at Kawasaki Motors Corporation. Walt, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Uh, Thank you. The quality assurance at at Kawasaki, what do you do there? Well, uh, we we look at safety issues and and concerns that we we receive, complaints, uh, warranty calls, uh, uh, customer calls uh, about issues on motorcycles. So we look at those and uh, try to come up with some solutions and uh, 
and uh, work them through uh, any problems that they have. Right, and then you do Street Masters. Tell us about Street Masters. Well, Street Masters, we started in uh, 2004, and it's an advanced cornering class for street riders. Not a not a track class, although we do conduct it on a, a closed course called the Horse Thief Mile at Willow Springs International Raceway, uh, up in the uh, the the high desert, about halfway between Los Angeles and Bakersfield, and uh, we work with uh, a cornering technique and uh, something called a delayed and late apex, which uh, uh, we've uh, like I say been doing since 2004. We also do uh, uh, on-the-road training, so we can we can bring the show to you and r- ride on your roads, and um, give you uh, offer you suggestions and and uh, insight on some of the things that we feel would would be better on uh, on the corners that you ride, and you, and that way you get to see uh, people get to see riders get to see right off the, the bat how this this uh, this works better for them. Um, and we, we do a, a something called Dirty Street Masters, where we work with adventure train bikes and actually go off-road with them. Hmm, very nice. Well, I, I, we're going to have to talk about that on another show, <laughs> because uh, I'm interested well, we now. we do that. It uh, it's really is a lot of fun, and, and, and while uh, uh, it's not my full-time job, I, I almost wish it were, <laughs> because uh, it's uh, very enjoyable for me. I, I enjoy uh, teaching, and, and I enjoy seeing lights come on in, in people's head when they finally get the concept and start putting putting it to work for them. How long have you been riding, Walt? Well, uh, I started riding when I was seven years old. I'm now 69. So that's what, 50, uh, that's 62 years, isn't it? Yeah, 62 years. My math is bad this morning. It's a long time. And you've, you've also been a professional racer in there? Uh, yes, I, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to... Uh, be involved in motorcycling my entire life. Thanks to my dad, he was involved in motorcycling and he was a racer. He worked for Triumph uh, out of Baltimore. My father worked for Triumph up until 1959 when he left there and went to work as one of the original seven employees at American Honda. And of course that changed my whole world because now instead of uh, uh, writing uh, British motorcycles. I'm now on Japanese motorcycles. And, uh, shortly thereafter, about 64, I think he went to work for Suzuki, um, uh, motorcycles. And now I'm riding two strokes instead of four strokes, which was sort of another shift in reality. And, um, that's where I started racing in 1960. Well, professionally in 1966, uh, on the Suzuki X6, I won Daytona as a novice and just about everything I rode that year um, as far as road racing is concerned. And that was my specialty, road racing. In 1967, I started to work for Harley-Davidson. And I rode the 750 uh, Flathead, the KR750. And it had very good success with that. I also won Daytona again that year and uh, another couple of uh, national road races as well. And uh, then in 68, I went to work. I was still working for Harley-Davidson and also picked up a lightweight ride with the uh, the 250 uh, Kawasaki. And uh, I had uh, reasonable success in 
in 68 road racing. I, I also started, by the way, in 1967, started dirt track racing. And uh, I've worked for motorcycle magazines, Cycle Guide, Cycle World, Motorcyclist, Motorcycle Consumer News for quite a number of years. First as a, just a tester and, and reporting on product evaluations and some road test stuff to where now I'm a regular columnist there uh, doing the street strategies column that Dave Huff used to do. And uh, he, he's got some pretty big shoes to fill and, and I'm, I'm trying my best to keep up with him. I came back to Kawasaki in 2006 and it's just a hoot. Love my job, love what I do, and uh, life's uh, rosy. And you've logged over a million miles, as it says, on the road and on the track. Well, just actually on the road, um, I've I've really lost track or haven't kept track uh, after I uh, reached a million. Um, so I'm I'm thinking, you know, if I just average out the number of miles I've been riding over the years since a million miles, I must have somewhere between one and a half to two million at this point in time. Wow, that's a lot of right. After and the you, first million, yeah, I was going to say after the first million, that does any more count? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know you, you sort of been there, done that. You got the T-shirt, but you're you're doing what? Are yeah. you doing are you doing a hundred thousand miles a year right now? Uh, well, I was doing um, averaging seventy five to a hundred thousand miles a year. I, I do a lot less than that now. I'm probably down around fifty. Uh, uh, because of all the time I'm I'm spending doing other things, but um, if I had the where for all and the uh, the bank account, I'd I'd put way over a hundred thousand miles a year on for sure. I have I have two uh, two motorcycles. One well, two of the motorcycles I have. One has a uh, hundred and almost sixty five thousand, and the other has a hundred and uh, nearly a hundred and sixty thousand. Uh, and plus I have. I have a total of 13 of them in my garage. Um, and I just don't have time to ride them all or keep them all running. I have not owned an automobile since 1999. Is that right? Wow. Well, I mean, you live in California. Uh, my, well, I do live in California, but it does rain here. And this year was particularly heavy, but that doesn't uh, stop me. I mean, it, and it's it's never, well, I shouldn't say it's never too cold. It, it gets down... For you guys, it's probably not not too cold, but uh, at 20 degrees. I, I, I ride in 20 degrees here. Um, I ride in the rain. I found out a long time ago I don't melt when I get wet, so no big deal. It's just part of what I do. Well, what we're dealing with uh, on this episode is vibrations, and I and I guess we should probably get on that topic and, and talk about that. Uh, vibrations with the motorcycles. Um, first of all, from your experience... Why uh, why are motorcycles so prone to vibration? Well, it, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, uh, most most of the time on, on most motorcycles, the, the engine is a rigid member of the frame. So whatever vibrations you have in the engine is transmitted through the frame, uh, right into the handlebars and foot pegs and so on, and mirrors, etc., and um, they, you know, the, the other other bikes that have rubber-mounted engines uh, shake a lot at idle, but once they start moving down the road, they're they smooth out and they're actually quite pleasant to ride. Uh, 
I'll, uh, <laughs> the example is the, the my mule. Uh, it'll sit there at a, at a stop and just shake and, and, uh, uh, and Nancy will, she makes a lot of, Nancy's my partner in street masters and she makes a lot of fun of me when I ride that because it's just shaking and jumping around and almost ready to hop off the ground, uh, at a stop. As soon as you get up to about 2000 RPM, that's all gone. It's smooth as can be. Um, so I, I, and sometimes it's a, it's a, a, a balance. Um, a concession, if you will, on, uh, uh, balance engine balance. And, um, and that's a design, uh, fact, uh, or factor. So there, there's a, a number of reasons that that happens, but, uh, but I think, uh, mainly it would be the, the fact that the engine's rigid mounted in the chassis. So, which brings me to my next predictable question, which is, so why do they mount it rigidly? I've seen there there are a couple of bikes uh, out there with, with rubber-mounted engines. So, I mean, I, I think that it's possible to do, but why do they do it? Why does every, almost every manufacturer mount it solidly into the frame? Well, it's, it's uh, in my opinion, I think, is, is, is less, uh, less expensive, less costly to do it that way. Uh, and they, uh, to counteract the vibration, they have balancers in the engine, which tends to dampen that out uh, a lot. Um, in fact, there, there's not many things out there that, that would really make my hands go to sleep, uh, as an example, uh, when I ride them, unless you're always up at high RPM. Um, so, um, the other thing is the, the maintenance. Uh, like right now, I'm, I'm un, unable to ride my Buell because the isolator bushings uh, are worn out. Uh, well, you're never going to wear out a, a bolt that uh, is used to attach the engine to the chassis. It just it just stays there. It doesn't move anywhere. You just stay tight, and you're good to go. But as far as ride comfort goes, I mean, you said yourself, your Buell smooths right out, and, and which I, I guess the, the rubber mounts are probably why it jumps around at an idle as well. Yeah, yes, it is. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, you got two large coffee can sized pistons moving up and down inside the engine and something's got to give somewhere. Yeah, but it works. I mean, it's, it smooths out. Cause I mean, people complain about this all the time. Vibration is a huge problem. My, my KLR 650, for instance, I don't have any more, but when I did, uh, it was an 06. It vibrated so much. I couldn't see anything out of the mirrors. I, I literally could see the vehicle, but I couldn't make out, you know, any details in the mirrors. And, and that was at any speed. Well, that, that's interesting. I have a 2013 uh, KLR 650 that I use for my off-road training, and um, it it doesn't vibrate very much at all. Um, uh, however, uh, just for your information, I've I've heard, and I I will uh, probably get around to trying this that that uh, the 680 the 680 kit 685 right yeah kit yeah, well, actually, is smoother than the uh, the 650 in standard form because the piston's lighter and therefore, you know, less uh, uh, less uh, possibility of uh, vibration. So that's one of the things I want to try one of these days. It's on my wish list. So, what kind of things have you done over the years to try and mitigate vibrations? Well, I have a, a ZZR 1200. That uh, uh, is a sport touring bike, and it's uh, it's Kawasaki. It's very nice. I like it, um, 
but it it does vibrate. It buzzes. And uh, one of the things that I've uh, done is uh, change the uh, rear sprocket size. I've gone smaller on the rear. Uh, either going smaller on the rear or larger on the uh, the countershaft sprocket. And it's got plenty of torque, plenty of power. So what I can do now is run down the road at the same speed at a lower RPM, uh, which makes it uh, vibrate less. Mm, so you checked the RPM that was the smoothest. You looked at that and then figured out what you had to do with your gearing. Yeah, sure. That's the way to do it. The other thing, uh, the other thing is that uh, you could use uh, these uh, soft foam rubber uh, grips uh, and put on. Um, I've I've heard people talk about putting a different weight handlebar end weights on, mm-hmm. and that'll help dampen things out a little bit. And uh, uh, even um, a handlebar change to some of the uh, aluminum bar, yeah, aluminum bar that uh, uh, that uh, may help dampen some of that vibration out as well. And I've heard of people using. I think there's something on the market that are like beads in a in a flexible tube that you can slide inside the handlebar. Again, the, the idea is just to weight things down to change the uh, the damping effect on the uh, on the bars. So there's 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 a number of things that that you can do. But I my my solution was just change the gear. And that'll work for some bikes, but that won't work for all. Again, like what you said was you had no problem with power. If you've got a bike that, um, like a lot of bikes are, like the KLR 650, for instance, you can't go too far changing the gearing on that. I mean, some people go up a tooth. No, you can't. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, uh, but, uh, but I think you could probably take uh, a couple of teeth anyway off the, off the rear sprocket. And that, that depends on what you're going to do with it when you actually take it off-road. If uh, if you're just looking at uh, some nice, smooth uh, forest roads, things like that, um, it shouldn't be a problem changing a couple of teeth on the rear. On the other hand, if you look at it as a real dirt bike and try to go trail riding with it up through the rocks and, and over logs, uh, I think you'll find yourself... Uh, I even way short with the standard gearing on it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Two teeth on the KLR, if you take two teeth off the back sprocket, I think you're going to, if you get any serious uh, stuff for off-road, I'm not even off-road, just any serious stuff where you're having to go slow and, and, and get over obstacles, yeah, you're going to die with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you will have a problem. There's no question about it. Yeah. Are, are there any other little tricks that you've found that, you, that you've used successfully to get rid of vibrations or, or deal with them? Well, uh, if you wanted to go to the effort, I guess you could try to rubber mount the handlebars like the BMW does, some of the models, and, and uh, that, that seems to be somewhat effective. Uh, you can get bars, replacement bars that are rubber mounted, like Fast Company has uh, this set of uh, flex bars out um, that are that have um, insulated, sort of, a, it's a sort of a flexible handlebar, that's why it has the name, and it's got rubber mounting in it, which makes a fair difference, um, so you can go that route as well, I guess. Yeah, Absolutely. And I mean, I guess one option is to not grip the bar as hard or as tight. Well, sure, um, and that's what that's you, you look. Not gripping the bar too tightly is is just good motorcycling. Right. Um, look, if you you have a tendency tendency to grip the bars too tight, then you you're going to have issues with things like cornering, which is all important as far as I'm concerned, 
to two wheels. And, um, of course that's, that's the reason I ride motorcycles. I love to corner and that's where the excitement is not running straight down the road. And maybe that's one of the, um, one of the issues I have, and that is that you don't notice the vibration so much if you're busy turning and braking and accelerating and, uh, shifting and so on and so forth. Um, it's, it's a little different world than getting out on, uh, I-80 and, and droning, uh, across the United States. Yeah, that is so true. That that is there. I mean, there's times when you have to get on these highways and ride, and I think that that is oh, yeah. when it becomes the most prevalent. That is when the vibration gets to you. When I guess you really don't have much else to do, and, and it sort of becomes more noticeable. It does become noticeable, and when you're you're occupied doing other things like brake, shift, turn, accelerate, so on, uh, uh, you're you're not thinking so much about the vibration. You're thinking about the fun you're having. Then when you get out on that straight, wide open road where you're straight up and down and, and droning along at uh, 70, 75 miles an hour, and you start, you start thinking about, gee, my, my fingers, they're not, they're not working there. Well, because for one thing, you're just static in one position. You're not changing that position. So one of the things you might think about doing is, you know, taking one hand off the bar and dropping it a little bit and getting the blood flow back in there and then put it back on the bar and, and, uh, uh, not that I, I recommend writing without uh, uh, without your hands on the bar, but you do have to feel what's going on. So if you're, you're I think the ultimate result of vibration is your hands numbing, then uh, then you got to do something to, to correct that. Because if you don't have feel, uh, you're in big trouble. There are some acceptable ways to uh, fix the vibration. And... Uh, Using the uh, the soft foam grips is one that'll help dampen things out. Maybe a little heavier handlebar weight uh, will be uh, beneficial. And uh, and lastly, and this is uh, what I found in, in my ZZR 1200, change the gear. Just uh, drop a couple teeth in the rear, and uh, and so you can run along at the at a comfortable speed, but at a lower RPM. Walt, it's been great to talk. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've been speaking with Walt Fulton from Kawasaki USA, their quality assurance. He's also the owner and chief instructor at Streetmasters. The Good Adventure Company is headed up by J.J. Lewis, and they have an ethos that is to make the world a better place to live and ride. It's pretty cool. And they do that by donating proceeds to worthwhile causes. They said so far they've given almost $10,000 to a school in Bato Pilos that they support. The Good Adventure Company sells products from their website, but they also do guided trips. Uh, But their guided trips are not sort of hand-holding style guided trips. They are done high-end. They stay at really good resorts and things like that. But they're made for experienced riders that want a challenge. For instance, they've got a trip coming up uh, in the Copper Canyon uh, later on this year, October 28th to November 4th. And that trip, they've done it a few times already. It's been described as a totally epic trip. People have went on it and said it's like the best trip they've ever been on. Um, they've got real challenges on these trips, and, and but you've got the support of an organized uh, an organized trip, an organized adventure. They also have one coming up in August called Best of the Backcountry Expedition. That's August 5th to 11th, which, which explores uh, southeast Utah and southwest Colorado. So you're camping in prime spots. You go through some bunch of high mountain passes. 
Check out what they're doing. Have a look at what the Good Adventure Company is doing to try and make the place a better world to ride in. www.good-adv.com. That's www.good-adv.com. And of course, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much. Hey, if you like what we're doing here and would like to help support the show, it is built on a model of some advertising and some support from listeners to make it work. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the support button, and uh, we get a bunch of different ways to do it. You can do it monthly. We, we've signed up with Patreon because we had a bunch of requests for that. And um, you can do that monthly where you sign up and it puts a little bit on your credit card, anywhere from $2 on up. You can also just give directly. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. And anything $50 or more will get you a mention on our Raw show. That's our other show. And speaking of Raw, you can get the Raw show, which is a, a different style show than this. Still deals with motorcycle and travel probably um, more so travel than, than this one drop by our website again www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the raw button or both podcasts are available anywhere you download podcasts so if you've got somewhere iTunes uh, um, the Google Play Store anywhere you get them just go there and search for Adventure Rider Radio or Adventure Rider Radio Raw my name is Jim Martin this is Adventure Rider Radio no excuses get out and ride your bike see you next week from Woody's Wheelworks and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 